We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. Well, I'd like to have you look here at the Gospel of Mark in chapter 5 and verse 21. And I'm going to show you a, uh, an interesting miracle. It's a unique miracle. It's a miracle on the way to a miracle. It's a two-in-one Two miracles for the price of one. They occurred virtually simultaneous, and there is a great lesson to be learned from them. If you remember back when we were in church about half a month ago, that uh, we're at that place in Christ's life that is called by theologians the pivot. It is the, um, the turning point where he has been rejected by the nation's leaders and they have blasphemed. They have said, you do your miracles by the power of the devil. And Jesus put the coup de grace on the nation. He said, that is unforgivable. And the offer of the kingdom was now withdrawn from them. And he now turns from the Jewish leadership. And he will only work within a small clientele, getting ready for the day that he will quit the earth and go home. He's working with the remnant of Israel, the Zacchaeuses, the Matthews, the tax collectors, the, the woman at the well, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, the fishermen. He's working with a small remnant of the faithful Jew that will sit at his feet. And he is about to go, as we looked in the parables uh, the last few weeks, he's about to go to the Gentiles. And we will include Jew and Gentile into one body, that is the mystery of the kingdom of God called the church, okay? And so we're going from Jew to Gentile and then back to Jew. I want to show you something just to, that maybe will enlighten you on this. If you'll go to your left to Matthew chapter 1, uh, <clears throat> Matthew is written to the Jewish nation by a fellow you wouldn't expect to write, by a tax collector, by Matthew. And he gives in Matthew 1 the genealogy of Jesus and shows that he is the very son of David, that he goes back through Solomon to David and from David back to Abraham in the covenant, that he has got the birthmark on him of being the Jewish Messiah, the prophesied one. And at the end of this genealogy in verse 17, after looking at uh, 42 different uh, genealogical stops. In verse 17, it says, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14. Now, from Abraham to David, the kingdom of God is promised. All right? To Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, David. It is promised. And then in verse 17, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, there is 14. That is the kingdom of God that is rejected. As from David on, from Solomon on, the nation of Israel fell into idolatry. And thus the kingdom of God is rejected. And they go into captivity and in punishment. And then in verse 17, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah is 14. And that is the kingdom of God restored when they return from captivity and rebuild the temple. And then Christ comes. Now, are you watching this? The kingdom is offered. The kingdom is rejected and goes away. And then the kingdom returns. Does that sound familiar? Because that is what Matthew is going to do. He's going to show that Christ comes to the nation, he is rejected, and the kingdom is withdrawn, and now he goes to the church. But we're not finished with Israel, that someday it shall be the second coming, and the kingdom will be restored to the nation. And you know what? He divides it into 14, 14, 14. And scholars believe that the reason he does that is that the consonants D, they would be our English letters, not that in the Hebrew, but DVD. David, the numerical compiling of those letters is 14. So you go David, David, 
David. The kingdom is, is offered, rejected, and then returning. Well, that's what you're going to see here in Mark. So go back to the Gospel of Mark. And it says in verse 21 that when Jesus crossed over again in the boat to the other side. So we're back from Gerasene and the demoniac and the Gentiles and the Decapolis. And we're back now among the native Hebrews. When he returned to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him. So we go from a miracle on the ocean over the twelve when he calms the winds and the waves, that is over the Jew. Then he goes away to the Decapolis, to the Gentiles. And now he returns to the Jew. Jew, Gentile, Jew. And that is the ministry of Christ. And the Bible continues to hammer this on you. That this thing called the church is not a split off from Judaism. It is the true representation of Old Testament faith. And we're not finished with Israel because someday he's coming back to that nation. And so when you read the Gospels all the way through the book of Revelation, the Gospels, Christ offers the kingdom. The epistles, it is rejected. And now it's among the Romans, the Corinthians, the Galatians, the Ephesians, the Philippians, the Colossians, the Thessalonians. And then in the book of Revelation, it returns in the second coming to Israel. Are you with me? And that way, the Christian is the one person on planet Earth that knows uh, what on Earth God is doing for heaven's sake. He's the one person that is not in the dark. He knows what's going on. Can you dig it, as Paul would say? Yeah. We know what's going on. So don't get bent out of shape at the Canaanite News Network. All right. Don't get... Don't get bent out when you see craziness take place and Congress pass something absurd. Again, we're going to win, okay? We've, we've got the, the bird's eye on what God is doing. That's why in the book of Revelation it says seven times, blessed are those who read this because you've got the scoop. You can do insider trading. You can do what got Martha Stewart sent to prison, all right? You know what the future holds, so you can seek first the kingdom of God, all right? Well, in verse 21, he goes to the other, comes back to his people. And what he's going to do here is an amazing miracle. Stay with me. Let me give you an overview. He's going to have a call to a man who is the overseer of the Jewish synagogue. And he's going to say, my 12-year-old daughter is about to die. I need you. Even though we've rejected you, I'm in trouble. My little daughter's about to die. And Jesus leaves to go to the man's, the daughter of the synagogue. All right. And on the way, he gets interrupted. Interrupted by a Gentile by another 12-year-old woman. She has had an issue of blood for 12 years, and that means you can't get into the synagogue. She's been outside of Israel, and she's not a Jew. That's why she comes up behind Jesus, touches the hem of his garment, and then tries to scoot away with no one seeing her. When Christ says, stand up and say what you do, she's terrified because Christ didn't come initially for her. He came to the lost sheep. She was sneaking up and getting something. She cut in line, and she gets something ahead of time. And so he goes to the daughter of the synagogue, but on the way to her, he gets interrupted by the Gentile woman that has been ill as long as Israel has been alive. Who's that? It's you. It's you, the non-Jew that interrupted the ministry of Christ to Israel. And that woman is going to get healed. And Christ is going to make her give her testimony. Like Paul said, salvation has come to the Gentile to make them jealous. And so the Jews will all hear how a Gentile lady who has done everything she could to heal herself and couldn't, how she has been healed by Israel's Messiah. 
And then he will return to the daughter of the synagogue, a second coming. But this time she's not at the brink of death. Now she is dead. And he says, no, she's not dead. She's just asleep. I'm going to raise her up. And everybody laughs at him. You can't do that. And he lets them know, I'm not just a healer. I'm God. And he raises her up, but he doesn't let everybody know it. He tells everybody, stay out. Only three people get to know this. Peter, James, and John. Only the church will know what God is doing. Comes to the Jew, goes to the Gentile, back to a dead nation, raises it up, and all are astounded. Does that sound familiar? He came to the Jew, to the daughter of the synagogue. On the way, he got interrupted by you. And he healed us. Amen? He healed us. And someday he's going to go back to the nation of Israel and everybody's going to laugh out loud and say like Ezekiel did, can these bones live? And they are waiting for the breath of God and they will stand erect and we will have Jew and Gentile in one kingdom. So that's why this is a unique miracle. It is a miracle within a miracle. So you'll need to tithe twice this Sunday. I'm just kidding. Okay. All right. Well, in verse 22, one of the synagogue officials, a synagogue official is a ruler and administrator, kind of like a deacon. And he is over all the events that take place at the synagogue. He opens up, he closes down, he does lawn care, uh, plumbing breaks, everything. And so one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and seeing him fell at his feet. The doors were beginning to close on Jesus to the synagogues. And the doors of the Capernaum, probably, synagogue is closing. But something has happened that makes a man say, I've got to deal with Christ. What is it? It's when your 12-year-old, your sixth grader is dying. Does that get your heartstrings? His sixth grader is dying. And so in verse 23, it says in 22 fell at his feet, 23, begged him earnestly, my little daughter. Incidentally, that is one of the nicknames, well, it is the nickname for Israel. Did you know that? Jesharun means my little upright one, his virgin daughter. God sees her as his pure child. Just like with y'all, do you have anybody have a daughter? Can they ever be rotten? Ever so often, but you love them still, okay? And so in verse 23, she is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. Uh, the nation's leaders had been saying to Christ, no. The majority of the culture had said no. But life says yes. Life says, I don't care what your culture says, you're in a world of hurt because your little daughter is about to die. Let me ask you, can life do this to you? Can life come back and bite you and all your nifty little arguments and all of a sudden when it is a life-death issue, can God bring you to his feet? That's why whenever I'm witnessing to somebody and they are too cool for school, all right, they've got their answers, I stay close to them. I stay close to them. Because someday, some doctor is going to say, sit down, I've got something to say to you. Or someday their marriage, someday their kid, someday their job, someday something's going to happen, and they're going to run out of answers, and they're going to need the word made flesh to tabernacle among them, that in him is life and his life is the light of men. And they're going to need that. And so the woman, the, the fellow says, I need you. I need you bad because my sixth grader's dying. And I hear the rumors of what you can do. Would you come? And 
the faith in verse 23 is a very crude faith. Touch her. Why don't you just say, like the uh, centurion, you don't need to come into my house. I'm a man under authority. I have people under my authority. I say, go, they go. I say, come, they come. You say the word, he'll be healed. That's the way the Gentile did. The Jew wants a genie. I need you to touch this person to bring blessing. So he's got a very crude faith. He also has a very superficial faith. He doesn't look to him for salvation. He doesn't look to him because he is the very, like Nicodemus, no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. I know that you have come from God as a teacher. He doesn't do that. He just said, I need a physical blessing. And he has a very desperate faith that I'm out of answers and I'm in trouble. Let me ask you, in our salvific trek that God brought you to Christ, with most of us, did he not have to begin this way? He did. I doubt there were any of you that just sat around contemplating the Trinity and said, I really need to understand how God can be infinite yet personal and at the same time maintain his oneness within threeness. And you didn't think that. You just had something happen that was very painful to you. And you began your trek to Christ. With me, I ended up on my face before God for salvation, primarily because uh, I was just stinking up the joint in football, you know. And, uh, and I, I recognized that my dream of being a professional athlete was, was dead, and I didn't, I remember not, I, I saw that I wasn't going to play professional football and I decided to find out what my degree was. <laughs> I really did. I said, hey, to the counselor, what, what am I taking these classes for? I said, oh, you're a phys ed minor with biology. Oh, yeah, okay. okay. What, what can I do with that? You can blow up volleyballs and basketballs and stuff. And so that's what started me on my journey to God. It was not anything deeply spiritual. It was that God got my attention by something physical. Can he do that? Yeah. You don't want to mess with the man. If you think he can't get your attention, Nebuchadnezzar, he can get your attention real quick. All right. Can you say aneurysm? Can you say a lub and a dub and a myocardial infarction? That's what the guy told me when I had my heart attack. You got a myocardial infarction. I thought, I won't be infarcted by nothing. So you need to find out how I can get out of this. So God can get your attention. If you think you don't need him, it's probably because you're single. Okay. You had not had no children of the corn yet. All right. And so many of us began this way of him getting our attention. And so in verse 24, the crowd follows. He went off with him, and a large crowd was following him, pressing in on him. They're going to see the show, Jesus versus the synagogue. Who's going to win? Here goes a mob, and they're going to meet a mob over at the synagogue guy's house. Well, the little girl in verse 24 uh, she's 12 years old. It says in verse 25, I'm sorry, verse 24, now where does it say she's 12? 25, yeah, the woman, no, that's the, the woman with the hemorrhage. What? Oh, 42, the girl was 12 years old. We got 12 tribes, we got a 12-year-old daughter. The analogy, this woman represents the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, she is at the point of death when Christ comes. In 722 BC, Israel lost five-sixths of the nation to Assyria. That's a big loss. And then in 586... They lost Judah and Benjamin to Babylon. And then Babylon got conquered by Persia. So they had been under Assyrian, Babylonian, Persian domination 
since 722 all the way to about 400 plus BC. That's a long time. That's the history of our country. And all during that time, they are being besieged by Assyrians, Egyptians, uh, Syrians, and on and on. And then here come the Greeks. They get out of captivity, they come back, but they're under the domination of Persia. And then Alexander the Great comes and takes the Persians. So now the Jews are under Greek domination. You ever heard of a guy called Antiochus IV? Um, he was uh, insane and he attempted a genocide on the Jews. It's why they celebrate today what is called Hanukkah because they survived it. He tried to destroy the Jews, Antiochus Epiphanes. And then the Romans took him over. And you got a guy named Herod who is crazy. And when he dies, he orders that all Jewish leaders will be killed uh, in one stroke simply so somebody will cry at his funeral. And they overrode that. He died and he was so crazy, they divided Israel up not to where one guy could rule it, like Herod the Great, but four guys could rule it, among which a number of them were crazy. So you got a guy named Pontius Pilate, you got a guy named an, a descendant of Herod ruling Jerusalem and Galilee, and that's the world that Christ came into that they have been dominated by pagans for 700 years. Think about that. We had three days of snow, and we all went crazy, you know. We're firing people. <laughs> 700 years of pain. And uh, when Christ comes, the Jews are, dis are fractured. You've got Pharisees, Sadducees, Essenes, Zealots, uh, Herodians. They're splintered into groups. Uh, the nation is d racially divided north and south. Uh, Galileans and Judeans. It's a mess. And they are at the point of death. If ever there is a nation in the history of the world that you did not have to convince them that the law of God would not save them, it is this nation. They have seen judgment everywhere they have turned. Well, in verse 25, he comes to this beaten nation to raise the little girl. Now, way over... And verse 41, he's going to do it. He's going to say, Jeshurun, little maid, little pure one, arise. And she is going to rise. So is he going to do what this synagogue official wanted him to do? Yes, he will. But there's something that's going to take place before he does it that nobody knows about. We would call it a mystery. He is going to include within the daughter of Israel, my daughter is even now about to die, a Gentile woman that he will say to her, daughter, go in peace. We're going to see Jew and Gentile included into one family. And that is the mystery that is going on right now. The little girl is not now about to die. Israel's dead. And he is now gone to you. In verse 25, a woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years. 12 years in frustration, where in verse 26, she had endured much at the hands of many physicians. You know, it's funny. Mark mentions this. Matthew mentions it. Only one Gospel writer doesn't talk about her problems with physicians. Luke, <laughs> yeah, it's bad for business, yeah. Uh, now, when it says physicians, at this time, there had been no medical science per se had taken off, even though there was a, uh, a Roman named Galen, G-A-L-E-N, that started one of the first guys to start to have insights about the human body. 
And so when you go to a physician, it was like going to a witch doctor. It was going to a shaman. And it, it was more of a Gentile sport. Jews didn't have physicians as much. The Gentiles did. So this woman had suffered much. And uh, we can tell she is a Gentile because it said she had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. Now that is the Gentile world apart from God. They are bleeding, and as a result, they cannot come into the synagogue. She's unclean. So they're alien from the people of God. And so they're going to fix themselves by their own efforts. Have the nations tried to do that? Our religion, our philosophy, our sociology, our education system, our economic theories, our political systems, and we're going to fix this. Are you really? Yeah, we're going to fix this. That's why whenever you go into a philosopher's study, you don't see a singular book on philosophy. You see the shelves lined up all the way from Socrates to California, all right, on crazy ideas that this guy got canceled by this guy, canceled by this guy, and the dominoes kept falling until finally they just said, like a true nature's child, we're born to be wild, all right, and they got to us. And so now there is no truth, and we're worse off than when we started. Now that's the Gentile world. And that's why she's going to come up behind him and touch him and try to run because she's cutting in line. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, you and I were the uncircumcision. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That was us. We were as bad off as we could get. We were so alien to God, we couldn't even know what the problem was. That's how bad off we were. Well, in verse, oh, incidentally, there's an interesting little twist right here. Both of them are 12. 12 years of uncleanness, 12 years of life. When you, there's a parallel between the Gentile and the Jew. Uh, the time that modern man, man after the flood, all right, when man started over again, you have six through nine of Genesis is this tale of Noah. And then in chapter 10 and 11 is the Tower of Babel. And you see the nations now emerge in the judgment of God with different languages that, that erect different religions that become the different nations that go out. And so the emergence of the Gentile nations is Genesis chapter 10 and 11. Do you know where in the Bible Abraham's name appears first? It's Genesis 11. That out of this mess of Babel, you know what Babel means? It means confusion. Out of the confusion of secular humanism, we'll make a name for ourselves that you have now the setting aside of Israel with Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob, then 12 sons that become the nation taken out of Egypt, Joshua in the land, and you now have in the middle of Babylon, the world, you have this fountain of truth called Israel that has a Bible. And so how long did the Gentile craziness take place? Genesis 11. Where does Israel's inception take place? Genesis 11. So there's 12 and 12. They're simultaneous. And so this woman has spent, 12, she's a picture of you and I. She has spent 12 years in alienation of God. 12 in the number is the number of administration. 12 tribes, uh, 12 disciples, 144,000 Jews in the last days. The Gentiles have tried it and blown it. The Jews have tried it, and they're dying and dead. Man is a complete failure. Can I get an amen? amen? 
Yeah. Have y'all seen Canaanite News Network? It is a failure out there. It ain't going to work. And so, in verse 27, after hearing about Jesus, here's hope that she's never heard. Somebody tells her about a Jew, that there is a Jewish nation that has a Jewish hope. There's a man who claims to be the Son of God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know, Plato said in his day, he said, as we go through life, we must find the best opinions of men and hold to them like a, like a ship in a storm unless we have a more certain word from God. Well, this woman heard it. He has come among us. I knew there had to be somewhere a God like that. And so just hearing the rumor the Gentile hearing the rumor about a Jewish Savior comes a-running. And in verse 27, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. She's just like the Jewish girl in the sense that she's at the point of death. Secondly, everything else has failed. And thirdly, Jesus alone can fix her. So she has a Jewish faith here. And so she does have a different approach. The synagogue official says, come touch her. He's very bold. Come touch her and she'll live. This woman is not bold. She's incognito. She's going to come up behind because she knows that you didn't come for me. Paul said the gospel has gone to the, who first? The Jew, and then the Greek. So he said, you didn't come to me first. You came to Israel, and she understands that. Do y'all remember in the Old Testament when Naaman has leprosy, and uh, he wants to be healed? He doesn't just go to Elisha. He gets a letter from the, the Syrian king to go to the Jewish king to say, my soldier would like to talk to this man because he recognizes I'm not a Jew. And whenever Elisha says, dip in the Jordan River of Israel, it offends him. Uh, you may remember the centurion who comes to Christ. He sends Jewish elders to Jesus. To say he is worthy, he built our synagogue. Uh, Ruth, your people will be my people, and your God, my God. And so you don't get to come as a Gentile to a G-O-D for healing. You have to come to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Anything else is atheism. And so, rightly does this woman know he didn't come for me. He came for them. So she sneaks up behind. And in verse 29, immediately the flow of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. She knows in her soul, I am healed. How many times in the Bible do you see God turn away a seeking soul? Not once, not once in the Bible. Peter said, he is welcome to all who fear God and do good. For those who are repentant and seek him, God will not turn away anyone. And so she is healed. The Bible says that the spirit witnesses to our spirit that we are children of God. We know that we have been touched. And... And verse 30, so does Jesus. Watch this. In 29, immediately the flow of blood was dried up. 30, immediately Jesus perceiving in himself. Verse 29, felt in her body. 30, perceiving in himself. There is a exchange right here. There's a point of contact. This human knows he touched me. And now I am whole. 
Just the tassel of his garment. A Jewish man wore four blue tassels on his garment to show him that wherever he turned, he was to keep the law of God. She tries to get her healing incognito. I'll just touch it. And sure enough, she is healed. And Jesus stops. You know why? Because he knows the difference between the serious and the curious. There's someone here for business. Are you telling me, Tommy, that when I come to God, even in the crudeness of my faith, and touch him, that I am saved? Yes. Are you telling me that God knows who I am? Yes. That's too good to be true. Sorry. But that's fact. 2 Timothy 2. The Lord knows who are his I call my sheep by name. You are Simon. I'm going to call you Peter. I know who you are. Does God know you? Yes, he knows you. That's called a personal relationship. He knows me and I know him. Isn't that something? Well, uh, in verse 30, perceiving that power had gone forth, he turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? Make a note. You're not allowed to be incognito. You're not allowed to get your healing and walk away in silence. You are going to glorify God publicly. We'll stop everything. Who touched me? Because I want someone to tell everybody else what I can do. You don't get to get saved and sneak away. In Israel and Egypt, you had to put the blood of the lamb on the front of your door. You confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. He that denies me before men. You are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. You do not light a lamp and put it under a bushel. And so you don't get to be silent. Ah, Tommy, I hear this always. It's, I, do you know Christ? Well, that's a, that's a personal thing. And to which I go, yeah, but it's not private. It is personal. That's got nothing to do with private. Your sin was not private. And he died for you, not in private. He died out in the open for you. And so you're going to confess him. And so he says, who touched me? I want to know. Well, in verse 31, the disciples said, who didn't touch you? You see the crowd pressing in on you? Sometimes humans can't tell who got saved, but God can. I know who you are. And you say, who touched me? 32. He looked around. He said, I know, to see the woman who had done this. And in verse 33, the woman fearing and trembling. Why is she afraid? Because of her theology. She knows he didn't come to me preeminently. He came to the Jew. There's another woman in the New Testament who comes to Jesus and says, heal my daughter. She's cruelly possessed by a demon. And Jesus kept walking. And the disciples said, she keeps crying out after us. Jesus said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He said, you don't take the children. And then the woman got in front of him. All right. There's only two occasions Jesus got out argued. I'll leave it right there. This woman got right in front of him and said, Lord, save my daughter. He said, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. The word their dog is not kuan, means a mongrel. It's the word kunarion. It means a little puppy dog. It means Mimi, Fifi, Bowser, all right? It means your little doggy. Anybody here got doggies? I got doggies. When does your dog get to eat? After everybody else eats, all right? When my grandkids come, my two dogs say, dinner bell, okay? And they wait underneath 
the table, all right? And in the old days, before you had Alpo and Purina, you would give the dogs after the children ate. So when he says, it's not good to take the children's bread and give it to the Cunarion, it means you're going to get fed after the children. Who are the children? The Jews. And so Jesus said, you're going to get fed. And the woman said, yeah, but the dogs can eat the crumbs that fall from the table, meaning dogs can cut in line. See, that's why my two dogs, Yodi and Sally, will get under the table when my grandkids come because they know they're little pigs. <laughs> and they're going to be throwing junk all over the place, all right. And they can cut in line. She was saying, yes, I'm going to get fed after the Jews, but even the Canarion knows that sometimes the kids don't want what is served them. And Jesus went, woman, your faith is great. <laughs> Would somebody please give her what she needs? And the demon went out. And so this is another lady, two Gentile women out argued Christ. It happened to Paul once. There was a woman named Lydia who greatly prevailed on him. So there's three times that women get what they want by just ragging on you. Okay. And so Jesus said in verse 32, I know somebody touched me. One time I spoke at Kansas University, 1973. First time I ever spoke to a fraternity, the Theta Chi's. I was 22. Some of these guys were probably my age. That was my, my peers, and I was scared. Uh, the guy discipled me, just threw me in. You're going to speak. And now I got up and shared about peace, pardon, purpose, and power to the Theta guys. And they were listening to me like normal 22-year-olds. You know, they know everything. <laughs> like this. And so I'm moving along sharing the gospel. And I look over and I see one guy, long David Cassidy Harris. Anybody have any idea what I just said right there? Long hair down his shoulders, 1973. And he's leaning around the guy in front of him. And he's looking at me in such a way that he just, all, he was the only guy I saw for the rest of the time. He was looking at me like this, like, oh God, please let this be true. Please let this be true. Please let this be true. He was drinking in, he even laughed at my funny stuff. Because <laughs> he wanted to know what I was saying. And you know, to, to this day, I see that guy's face. I don't know who he was. I still pray for him. God, God I pray for that guy, wherever he is, because I know he never forgot what I said. I can tell the difference between the serious and the curious. Remember Zacchaeus? Crowd around Jesus. He went up in the tree. Jesus knew who he was. Zacchaeus, come down. Zacchaeus looked around. Any other midget IRS agents? I guess he's talking to me. And so that's the way that, that God is. I know who you are. And in verse 33, she fell down and told him the whole truth. Did the demoniac fall down? Yes. Did Jairus fall down? Yes. Did the woman? Everybody falls down before Christ. It's an anticipation of when every knee will bow. And so she falls. And he says in verse 34, daughter, he says that to assure her, I have a daughter of the synagogue and I have you. You are now my child. To as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. You're my child now. Daughter, your faith has made you well. I'm not just another quack that worked. It's not the tassel that healed you. It's your faith. You trusted me. Go in peace. Meaning, from here on, it's not just this one occasion has healed you. You go in peace. How will Paul begin his letters? Paul, an apostle, grace to you in peace. Go in peace 
and be healed of your affliction. It's not going to come back. You're secure. You are saved. You're exalted. Because I'm not just a healer like Jairus wanted. A healer. No, I am God. And so she's got a more pure faith than Jairus does. Well, he makes her give her testimony. Uh, We don't see it in verse 34. We see it in another gospel. She told why and how she touched him. You know why? There's a Jewish crowd. Salvation has come to the Gentile to make them jealous. Your entire salvation is Israeli-oriented. Did you know that? Hanaliah, where are you? I think they go to the Lutheran church. Okay, that's okay. Yeah. The Apostle Paul talked about the fact that God is not finished with Israel in Romans 11. And he said, salvation has come to the Gentile to make them jealous. Our salvation is Jewish-oriented. The reason God saved us was to make his covenant people aware that he is true. God will never forget Jeshurun, the little upright one. And so, in verse 38, And while he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official, saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? Dig it. During the interruption, during the intermission, during the parentheses between the cross and the crown, In this intermission, in this something that no one was ready for, this mystery, are you with me, Kendall? It is a mystery. In between coming to the Jew and fulfilling to the Jew, there's a period in here of the Gentile. And in this little interim, in verse 35, they said, your daughter has died. The girl has gone to near death to now she is dead. In the same way, when you look at Israel, when Christ came, they were near death. Since 70 AD, where have they been? They're outside of the land. They are darkened to God. They are dead to God. Jesus said, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Israel is dead. God said to Ezekiel, what do you see, Ezekiel? A valley of dry bones. Can these bones live? Lord, you know they can't. Speak to them. You're kidding. Speak to them. Live. And the bones came together, but they had no life. The Spirit of God came, and they were alive, meaning Israel's going to be regathered, and someday they're going to have life. And so, in verse 36, Jesus overhearing what was being spoken. Incidentally, this is why Amillennialism and postmillennialism evolved. Did y'all know that? Amillennialism means there is no kingdom of God. Amill, no millennium. And that evolved because whenever you read in the Old Testament that there was someday going to be a kingdom of God over the nation of Israel, and when the book of Revelation said, from Revelation, from Revelation 6 through 19, the word church is not mentioned, Israel is central. When you read that there's going to be a future for Israel, the Gentile world and the Christian church from the fourth century on denied that that could ever happen. And they now made it symbolically fulfilled in our salvation that we were the new Israel and this was the new kingdom. The problem is it says in Revelation that Satan will be bound for a thousand years. If he's bound now, he's on a long chain. And so no. We changed it to where we allegorize those prophecies to be true in us spiritually, not literally, because no one could believe that it could actually happen. You can't be destroyed by Egypt, destroyed by Assyria, destroyed by Babylon, kicked out by Rome, and come back together. That's impossible. But they did it. And so everybody just laughed. And we invented our millennialism, our post-millennialism, that... uh, the church was going to establish a perfect kingdom on the earth and at the end of which Christ was going to come. World War I put an end to that thought when Christian nations killed each other. 
And now people can now believe it because when you read on the front page, who is central in civilization? Israel, I'll be darned. God didn't need our help, okay? And so in verse 36, overhearing, he said, don't be afraid, only believe, trust me. He has gone now through pain to where I'm not just a healer and a good physician. I want you to trust me as divine. I can't, I don't just merely bring a girl back from disease. I can raise the dead. Israel's faith had to get purified. In verse 37, he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter, James, and John. Only the pillars of the church, Peter, James, and John, will see what he's going to do. In the same way, on planet Earth, there's a very slim group of people who know what's going on. And they know what the future holds. And that's the Christian church. Because Peter, James, and John saw he can raise up the daughter after he goes to the unclean woman, that there is hope for Israel. We're the only guys that know that. What I'm telling you has never been preached in the halls of Congress or the House of Representatives or any place else. I did a Bible study once in the Pentagon. They're hip, okay. But everybody else is in the dark. We're the only guys that know this. Has anybody heard this on CNBC? <laughs> that the only hope for our world is the second coming of Jesus Christ, where he establishes the nation of Israel as his glory in the earth and all the world worship God? I haven't seen that. Mr. Cuomo missed it, I guess. All right. And so in verse 38, they came to the house of the synagogue official and they saw the commotion and loud weeping and wailing. She's dead. 39, why make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but is asleep. Romans chapter 11, God gave them, Israel, a spirit of sleep. Eyes to see not and ears to hear not, down to this very day. They're not dead. They're just inert to God. They can't hear. And in verse 40, what happens whenever the church tells people that Christ is going to raise the Israelites someday? They began laughing at him. That's interesting. You know why that's a play on words? Israel got its name whenever Abraham couldn't have a kid. And God said, you're going to have a kid. And Abraham and Sarah laughed at him. And God said, do you think that's funny? I'm going to name your boy Isaac, he who laughs. And every time you call him to dinner, laughing boy, come to breakfast. You're going to remember that when I said I can do this and raise a man from the dead womb of Sarah, you laughed at me. Look what God did. And so once again, the world laughs at God. There can be no Israel, really. In verse 40, he put them out and he, because if you do not follow Christ, you don't get to know what the future holds. Are you with me? If you don't follow Christ, you're at the mercy of CNN. If you follow Christ, that's why the book of Revelation says, blessed are those who read. You know what God's doing. He entered the room where she was and taking the girl by the hand, the child, he said, Talithakum, which is Aramaic, for little maid, Jesharun, little upright one, my virgin daughter, Rise up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk. She was 12 years old. And immediately they were astounded. It's like sleeping beauty. Israel is asleep waiting for her prince to kiss her, to speak to her. Can these bones live? Lord, thou knowest. And a wind blew and they arose like a great army. Ezekiel 36. And so once again, she's alive. And they were completely astounded because it is a miracle. I remember years ago, there was a Methodist pastor in Fort Worth 
He was liberal as the day is long. And he would get up and preach, and he would talk about this seminary over in Dallas. And he would mock his way through it that still believes that God will show up and the nation of Israel will live again. Well, he knows now, because he's dead, all right, that he will live again. The world laughs at it, and yet they are completely astounded. Verse 43, he gave strict orders that no one should know about this and that something should be given her to eat. No one shall know he has withdrawn the offer of the kingdom from Israel. And so, why is this an important text? Number one, if you're a Gentile, you can come. And Christ Jesus, he has made the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. You come. Number two, he will receive back the nation of Israel someday. Number three, until that day, you and I speak up. We tell the world. And number four, we are enlightened. Paul said to the Romans, I do not want you to become ignorant, brethren. That's called the largest denomination in America, the ignorant brethren. (laughs) Romans 11, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, lest you be wise in your own estimation. A partial hardening has happened to Israel. It's not total, some Jews are being saved, and it's not final. A partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. All that God will save is elect. And then all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion, from heaven, and he will remove sin from Jacob, from Israel. And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sin. He's going to return, take those that weren't out looking for him that took the mark of the beast and separate them. And now all of the Jews that have survived shall go into the kingdom and there shall be one nation under God, indivisible, with the law of God upon their heart. And they shall not teach again every man saying, know the Lord. They will all know me from the least to the greatest and their sins I will remember no more. Ain't that something? A two-for-one miracle. You got a song, Kendall? It better be good. That's all I can tell you. (laughs) Father in heaven, we are indeed thankful for your mercy. And we are thankful for your decree that we were either the 12-year-old girl or we were 12 years in uncleanness. We were Jew or we were Gentile. We were both lost. And you came to your people and got rejected that you could now go to the rest of the world. And you are able to return to that nation because you saved us. There is no one that you cannot save. There is no one that has any right to demand on you because the entire world is obligated to you. And I thank you that you have such a mysterious decree that you can use great evil and rejection to bring about great good. And so I pray as we go through this life, we who know you and have been touched by you, that when we are called to say, why are you healed? That we can tell what we did and why we did it, that nothing else could save us but Jesus. And you would use our testimony, Lord, to be a light in this dark world. And as the nation states become just like Babylon and Persia and Greece and Rome, as the nations do what the kingdoms did, and get farther and farther away from you because they're atheists. They have replaced the true God with something of their own imaginations, some God, some aspect of nature, some aspect of, uh, of morality and religion. They have sought to put a lie in the place of God that is not a sufficient boundary on evil, not a sufficient hope for life, and we are sliding down fast. As we, as we began sliding before the revolution, in the days of deism, we were sliding. 
We have only been held up by different revivals that have given us a uh, reset. But we're sliding. And we have no commands to fix this culture, only to call out the elect and to remain pure. And so I pray that you might give us grace this day. And if there is any bleeding woman among us that has tried everything to fix them, and they're just the worse off, that they might know that the Savior has come to Israel, has been rejected, put upon a cross, and died, whereby he can save to the uttermost those who come with empty hands and beg his mercy. And we'll thank you in his name. Amen.